Welcome to episode 283 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. This week, we'll be talking about emerging technologies and the self. In particular, we're going to chat a little bit about virtual reality experiences and empathy. But first, little preamble here uh, on the digital life. Of course, we've delved pretty deeply into what makes ourselves ourselves in the 21st century, namely all the different ways that we take in information, the way we share, the way we communicate, the way we collaborate and interact with each other. All of these things have gone online. All of this is digital now. So I think it's a really interesting question about how we are forming as people um, in in the digital age, right? There's so much potential for uh, good things to happen. And as we've seen over the years, there's so much potential for miserable, miserable stuff to happen as well. So this is just one corner of that discussion around virtual reality and empathy. But I think it, you know, applies to the larger idea of ourselves in the digital age uh, and how we look at that. So let's dig in a little bit. Um, I must note that this was inspired by the uh, article in Aeon, which is at aeon.co. It's a great online magazine, and the name of the article is It's Dangerous to Think Virtual Reality is an Empathy Machine. So the uh, uh, one of the starting points for this is that a few years ago, uh, researchers at the Virtual Human Interaction Lab at Stanford University created a, a VR simulation of a slaughterhouse. And so the idea was that people would put on uh, uh, VR goggles and sort of you know walk around on all fours and experience what it's like uh, to be, you know, uh, a cow and, and go through, you know, uh, being fed and then, and then eventually, you know, being brought to the slaughterhouse, which, um, you know, sounds like a pretty horrific experience to me. And, and, and just sort of the concept there was that, you know, give people an idea of, of what it was like to be an animal and, and, you know, this, uh, uh, behavior will also lend us to think about, you know, are we being cruel to animals and, and sort of what is the, uh, uh, the ultimate sort of morality there around that. Um, that's, that's the idea anyway. And, you know, I find the experiment really intriguing as well as sort of the hypothesis of, of, of the article itself, which is, you know, we're, we're going and we're creating sympathy, uh, for this, uh, uh, you know, for animals, but, uh, you know, the, the author of the article was like, you know, you're not really experiencing this. This is not, you know, you can't be a cow. That's kind of uh, not a notion that uh, the author agreed with. And, and I tend to fall on on uh, that side of the argument as well. Dirk, when, when you were reading about this experiment, you know, where did you fall in that uh, uh, in that spectrum or which side did you fall on to? I mean, I find it both interesting and silly, right? I mean, it's it's interesting that we are thinking about technologies, you know, such as uh, you know, mixed reality, 
and using them in ways to transport people to different experiences. And, uh, you know, this one, which is a, sort of a, to me, is an inherently political one um, of, you know, moving people towards uh, behaviors and beliefs that uh, reduce and eventually eliminate the slaughter of animals for, for human consumption. Um, uh, it's it's interesting and it's, it's noble as well. Uh, you know, it's silly, though, in that... Um, you know, the, 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 they're saying that it's empathy, you know, it's giving us empathy for the animals or, or creating sympathy for the animals, you know, forgetting the fact that, you know, these, these animals are in very specific conditions over a long period of time, fully physically, um, ensconced in them. Whereas we can be on our little virtual reality goggles, having just had an ice cream sundae, crawling around on the floor eating a cheeseburger, ironically enough, um, you know, without real cattle prods zapping us in our side. It's it's sort of phony baloney. So it's skin deep. So the idea is interesting. You know, there's some um, impact, some value, I'm sure, in participating in it. But to, to, to translate that to sympathy or empathy in any real way is, is, is just silliness. Yeah, I think so. So, point taken on 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 that. I I, I think that's. Um, uh, we'll return to that discussion in a moment. I I wanted to sort of expand our our view to also include some of the other examples that were mentioned in the article. Um, you know, uh, there was a simulation around being homeless uh, as as one example, and there's another one about experiencing racism, uh, both of which are obviously. Uh, human topics, not um, not bovine, as you know, in the previous example. So, so obviously, a closer match to uh, what the person is experiencing, and you know, with, with a with a different perspective, a different set of life circumstances. Let's say um, now, to to me, those those were sort of closer to the mark in terms of you know, eliciting a response uh, sort of in keeping with the fact that th these are human experiences and and these are perspectives that, you know, you, you, you may not be exposed to at all, you know, whether it's, you know, being homeless or experiencing racism, you know, uh, some folks will just not, you know, experience those, uh, those things. And so taking the virtual walk, uh, in, in other people's shoes may be valuable. Uh, Dirk, how did, how did those two experiments strike you? Um, I'm skeptical again, and here, here's the problem. Um, you have people who experience those things. I mean, let's talk about, you know, the, the sort of the racial microaggressions as an example. You have people who experience those things in real life. You have people who don't experience those things in real life, but already know of them and uh, believe in them. We'll see you have four types of people. Then you have people who don't experience them in real life, have know about them, but don't believe them. And then you have people who don't experience them in real life, don't know about them, and thus can't believe in them or not. Um, for the people who experience them, assuming that they're sort of accurate and correct, those people are going to say, yes, that's that's right. For the second group of people, the people who don't experience them, but, but believe that those things are part of life, um, there's something there. You know, you can sort of experientially get it. It's, it's both reaffirming something you already think in your brain, um, but also giving you some experiential context 
to imagine. So there's some value there. Then you've got the people who don't believe in it. And, and, you know, I think more likely than not, uh, much more likely than not, they're not going to believe in it afterward either, right? Because somebody put that together. The reasons that people wouldn't believe in a political agenda like that is that they don't want to believe in it. And, and they're going through this app and experience those things they're going to just say, oh, yeah, well, anybody can take these clips and put them together and make it seem that way. Yeah, well, anybody can. There, there's nothing in the experiential aspect of it that is going to take someone from being dug in and doubting it to, oh, my God, if only I had known. Because it's it's not a real-life thing. It's a, it's a carefully curated thing. And then you have the people who, who are completely ignorant of it and you know, I think depending on their, you know, sort of political persuasion and and beliefs to begin with, will either find something there or not find something there. So I, I think it's in very narrow bands that it has impact. I think it can have good impact within those bands, but the framing of it as as having this transformative sort of universal power, um, I, I just think is is really um Trumpian and it's uh, over you know, over hype and overstatement. Yeah, I think so. I do think we're at sort of the beginnings of experimenting with, you know, what's possible with these, uh, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality and uh, sort of establishing um, what what could be, you know, sort of very useful tools for, um you know, a, a different, a different level, a different type of experience, sort of more visceral, more immersive, more interactive, you know, however you want to frame that up. Um, you know, sort of the same way we look at games, video games now and all their sophistication. And then I can go back and think of the games that I played, uh, you know, at, at my desktop computer in, in the late eighties, you know, sort of the, the vast difference between those and, and how much more, um, you know, nuanced and, and, and beautiful and sophisticated and interesting game, you know, video games are now. And I, I think we, we had sort of the same discussions about video games. Uh, in particular, I remember lots of discussions around first person shooter games, you know, whether or not those, you know, how those would influence people, um, or even just, you know, what we're communicating uh, through games for, you know, for education and for, you know, development of uh, learning, et cetera. Um, so I think, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality have, are the sort of natural inheritors of a lot of, uh, you know, the the purposes for, you know, what we're using gaming for now. I mean, very specifically around video gaming. Um, and, and I do think in the future that, you, you know, the sort of... Uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it scary, but you, you put your finger on it, Dirk, that there's a particular narrative that's being um, pushed or, or um, crafted here to allow you to think in a certain way, you know, which you may agree or disagree with depending on, on, on your perspective. But, you know, to sort of think about how whatever is done in that way, you know, which you agree, you know, someone can take those same tools and create a whole bunch of stuff that you would, you know, disagree with, you know, vehemently. Right. Yeah. So, so for example, uh, you know, showing, 
certain groups of people, you know, you have the, the, the racism app, you know, that I, I could see someone developing an, an application showing uh, bad behaviors of certain groups that people didn't like, right? Um, or, you know, sort of you like would, cheesy workplace uh, education videos. Right? right. Like you, like you, the HR. You, you could certainly, you could, the, the technology, of course, supports, you know, any kind of narrative. Uh, that we can imagine. So, so I think it's it's worth discussing what the possibilities are. And I, I think down the road, um, the possibilities for influence, I think, are 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 very much a part of the virtual virtual reality discussion. Even if it's just you know a small uh, a small group of people you can influence that way. Yeah. Um, you know, for instance, you know, we talk about. Uh, all the uh, influence campaigns, the propaganda campaigns on on various digital platforms, and those those are more or less text messages combined with, you know, some uh, photographs, right? Um, so so I think we're bringing online m- tools that are that are much more powerful in in their ability to influence, and and I think this this discussion today sort of um, highlights that fact. Um, and I don't know if I should be nervous about that or not. I never, you know, in a million years when I started using Twitter, I, you know, propaganda campaigns on Twitter. What are you talking about? That yeah. just n- never even crossed my mind. Yeah. So, so I wonder where where these things will take us. Yeah, I, I mean, let's look at games and the history of games for some guidance. Um, what we're talking about here these these sort of example mixed reality apps are very what I'll call stage one, okay? And taking that to games, um, learning games have long been a, a holy grail in, in, in game creation. And what we found is the games are expl- that are ex- explicitly created to be learning games that are called learning games people don't want to play. People perceive them as, uh, you know, trying to teach them something as opposed to letting them have fun and explore and really really discover something cool. And so what has happened instead is lessons are taught through games that are made just to be fun games and the lessons are kind of slid in. If if we want to for me if if I was tasked, if I was given a big budget and said what what you need to do is to have the populace of our country all have sympathy and some degree of empathetic understanding for um you know for racist microaggressions. If, if that was my task, what I would do is I would get a team together and say, we're going to make this science fiction game. It's, we're going to just focus on making the coolest game possible. And it's putting the, the character in, in this as a minority species on this planet, you know, and, and, and you're doing things like you do in science fiction, whatever the, the, the sort of genre of science fiction you're going might be. But the whole thing is from this place of, you know, a species in that case, but basically racial um, uh, minority from being being sort of uh, culturally penalized, um, and just build that into an amazing freaking game. That is going to get the lesson through. If you make the right game that's a smash hit and people want to play, then people are going to really get it, and they're going to identify with it because they're going to say, "Yeah, I was a I was the Gorn character, and boy, the Gorn had it hard." You know, whatever that looks like. Suddenly, it's in there. You've got the sympathy, you got the empathy, because you're coming at it not from this political. Oh yeah, 
be a cow and see how bad cows have it. That's not going to get you there. But if you take someone there through their own interests, their own desires, their own excitement, because we're selfish, uh, stupid MFs here, right? We, we aren't the brightest species in the world. So we can't be taken there through these direct routes. We have to be taken there. We have to be tricked into it by being taken into something that we perceive as just fun for us, all about us, not about somebody else's agenda, but just our pushing our pleasure buttons left, right, forward, and backward. Um, that's the way to do it. And at the end of that game that everybody's played and is a big smash hit, you've suddenly educated a, a bulk of the nation on these crucial things that have to do with the, the social welfare and equality for all. You can't do it directly. You have to go in through the back door. And and. Eventually, we'll get there. Right now, we're just kind of seeing the clumsy first steps of, oh, yeah, let's do this social justice thing that most people are just going to reject out of hand. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's right. And I liked your uh, your example there of the sci-fi game. I guess the uh, the Gorn have had it pretty hard. They've had a real hard job, <laughs> seriously, right? So, I mean, it, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, wrap up this conversation a little bit. I, uh, you know, the... The, the possibilities that we have uh, with with digital communication and technologies um, are, you know, only increasing and ourselves as, you know, uh, consumers of information, as social beings, as, um, you know, participants in society, like all these aspects are um, subject now to, uh, you know, to our digital lives, the digital influence. Um, I mean, for, for me, that that's a question that is, is worth exploring further. We won't, um, you know, we obviously don't have time to dig into that now, but, but I, I feel like there is, um, there's value there in, in evaluating how we're, how we're changing as as people, as, as a society, uh, because of all these new abilities and technologies, um, or, you know, the, the abilities that technologies give us rather. Um, so it's something we'll have to explore a little bit further on the show. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to the digitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find the digital life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J O N F O L L E T T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 283 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>